Well, welcome to part two of this week's Forever Blue podcast. Uh, earlier this week, on Monday evening, we posted one which was the debrief of the Liverpool game. And the same gang of people who were involved in that podcast are here because we're still actually recording on Monday evening, even though you may not get this available to you until Thursday or Friday. Um, but we knew we had a lot to talk about and we didn't want to leave things out. So rather than do a mega, mega podcast that went on forever, we split it into to two, so I hope you understand that. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Liverpool game in quite the detail we did before. That's not to say it won't be mentioned again. Uh, thanks, of course, to charleslouis.co.uk, who are the sponsors of this podcast. They're chartered mortgage advisors. And if you're buying a house or you're thinking of getting a mortgage and you want to talk to a friendly guy, Dave, he runs the company, who is a blue, to get some advice, or just look on their website, charleslouis.co.uk. There's lots of stuff on there. Uh, then we'd appreciate it if you support them like they're supporting us so uh, with me just as we were on monday are harlan and paul and louisa we're here at Tameside Radio, by the way. Thanks very much to Tameside Radio for the facilities that we have to do the recording of these podcasts as well. Forgot to mention that uh, in the edition that we released on Monday, but thanks very much to them for that as well. Now, where do we start? Let's go back in time, first of all. We talked extensively about Liverpool in the last podcast, but the game before that and since the last podcast was the game in Italy. Now, Paul and I travelled together, along with a couple of other guys, uh, out to Italy. And Paul was in the away end. I was lucky enough to be in the press box. So I was away from the away fans. But, of course, I met a lot of fans out there. And you two, presumably, watching it on TV mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and, and not able to go out to that, which this, that's how it is. People who watch some games don't watch the others. There's no judgment on that at all. However, I just wanted to point out that Paul and I were actually at the game. Now, we can talk about the game to begin with, but we're going to come on to another subject, which was the, the way that the fans were treated out there, uh, which, which I've got a lot of people contact me to say that it wasn't right and something needs to be done about it. Uh, there is also a subject that was brought up to me by a fan at Anfield about uh, how people who are perceived as occasional spectators or tourists or whatever got tickets for that game, which we'll also touch on in this podcast. Uh, that guy said to me, come on, you've got to support us, you've got to say something about it. I said, well, we'll bring it up, we'll bring it up on a podcast, don't worry, and we'll talk about it. So tonight is the night. Let's start with the game uh, out in Atalanta. And, of course, it will be remembered for the fact that City played three goalkeepers in that match, <laughs> uh, starting with Edison. Then there was a conspiracy theory that he was brought off at half-time purely as a precaution for the Liverpool game because it was just reported he had a muscle injury, which was unspecified. So Bravo came on at half-time. When then what unfolded happened, i.e. that Bravo got sent off, uh, then people would say, oh, well, you shouldn't have rested Edison. But it turns out Edison was injured, otherwise he would have played at Anfield. So Bravo came on, he came charging out, he did or didn't make contact with the Atalanta player who was breaking away. He got shown the red card and Kyle Walker ended up going in goal <laughs> and making sort of one save, I suppose, if we're being honest, uh, from the free kick, which was pretty much straight at him. Did a bit of a theatrical fall to the ground, which everybody <laughs> loved, uh, and came off as a hero. So that's the summing up of it. Uh, Harlan, um, goalkeepers, uh, what happened in Atlanta, Atalanta, what do you make of it? 
Um, yeah, losing Edison wasn't great, was it? I mean, I'm smiling because I just can't stop thinking about Carl Walker falling <laughs> to the ground with the ball in his hands. I think it was an exquisite piece of goalkeeping, personally, in uh, from England's best right back. I wish so, I'd been um, videoing it afterwards, but he, he actually uh, reenacted it on the touchline as he was walking <laughs> off. Uh, with, I think uh, certainly with uh, I think with Mendy and possibly with uh, John Stones as well. And I should have filmed it instead of just watching it. But he did reenact it. He loved it, didn't he? Yeah, he loved it. But I mean, going back to the actual goalkeeping performances I thought Edison was okay first half the, the actual performance first half was good I think we sliced them open like hot knife through buttery and be honest with you but we just didn't we didn't take our chances in that game and I think I mean I, I was watching the first 20 minutes thinking this is good this is a great performance especially after the Southampton game I'm really happy with the way we're playing but again and it's something that I keep saying and I've said for the last month not clinical enough not putting the ball in the onion bag and it's something that we're struggling with at this moment in time that ruthlessness and that four and five goals needs to come back as soon as possible really but going to the um, goalkeeping performance of Bravo when he came on I said at the start of the season against West Ham in the pre-season game he looks like a different goalkeeper he looks a bit more confident in himself he looks like a better goalkeeper, whether that's down to the fact that he's watched Edison and Pep's been working with them both in training and the goalkeeping coach has been working with them both and he's looked at Edison and thought, I need to be more like him. His distribution's better as well. Um, and, you know, I love Ilkay Gundogan, but he, in, in effect, put Bravo in a bit of a position with his, with his loss of possession in midfield and that put Bravo under pressure. I don't blame Claudio for coming out and trying to stop Ilicic from going round him because it was a good bit of goalkeeping. Just unfortunate that Ilicic has gone down as dramatic as he has. Is it only um, me, by the way? Sorry to interrupt your flow, because as I was watching it, I was thinking this and I should have tweeted it. Ilicic, uh, doesn't it remind you of Bob Taylor, who used to play for Gillingham and then came to play? His build and the way he ran and everything, <laughs> yeah. I thought, it's Bob Taylor reincarnated. Not going uh, <laughs> to lie, you're not have a clue Bob Taylor is. Right, fair enough. Uh, You'll remember him, Bob. <laughs> Like but do you know he's, 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 I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago he's a tricky player him and I always knew when he broke with the ball that he was going to go and try well he was going to try and go around the keeper I'm not saying I'm a um, I'm not saying about crystal ball but I knew Nostradamus. what he was going to try and do he knows what Bravo's about he knows he's going to go to ground and try and get the ball and he's gone round him and um, and whether or not he's dived for somebody else to debate not me because I would I wouldn't want to do that right do you, now do you think he dived I think he did yeah I'll, I'll put it out there I think he's he's anticipated contact from the goalkeeper if anything he's booted Bravo in the head uh, and gone down and Bravo's been sent off um, but then it, it was it was a call for somebody to step in here weren't it and Walker was the man and to be honest with you if anyone puts a goalkeeper shirt on and they've never played in, in the sticks before you've got to put your hands up and say fair play to him and he did that and I think the way we managed that game after uh, Bravo went off was absolutely brilliant and I think that's credit to Pep and and, and, and that confidence that he instills in the players to manage games even when everything's against us. It was like watching us against United again, wasn't it? Was we did the same at United, didn't we? Took the ball in the corner. I, I, I think um, Kyle Walker, I mean, as some goalkeeper of ill repute myself, um, <laughs> safety first. And when he received that back pass, he gathered the ball, he checked round the left and right shoulders and dropped to the deck to protect the ball and to just let him have a breather you know and safety first that was paramount so yeah top top car walk I think that was one for the cameras you know oh it was beautiful one. well did you see Mendy it was Mendy that was actually saying get out get out and yeah, if you I watch it that, back yeah. Yeah. and it was like he did get down and it was like quality that that was City though wasn't it that, that was Man City to a T the goalkeeper bit <laughs> Kyle Walker got in the deck the fans loving it 
You that, know, yeah, shall, it was definitely what, last three decades oh, in yeah, one match. It, it all came rolling back to me. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I was in. Yeah. I was just laughing. I couldn't even get angry at any of that because I was just laughing, thinking this is this is a comedy. I'm, I feel like I'm watching uh, uh, the Jimmy Grimshaw film or something. You know, I forgot that name right. Jimmy that, Grimble. Grimble. That was it. <laughs> I just felt I was watching something like that. The only thing I've got to say about Bravo. <laughs> is that to me that's just a rookie mistake you know you're not the, the speed of that guy coming down that pitch if you're going to come out like that you have to make sure you make contact with that ball even if you make contact with the player rookie mistake deserve to go off just for his stupidity in my view <laughs> sorry, think, sorry sorry Claudio you're, you're right you stupid, the point you're making but, <laughs> but going back to my goalkeeping career um, if he'd have come out and made contact with a ball, he'd have handled the ball and been sent off yeah, anyway. Yeah, I just know with his feet, so you know, he just missed with he, his feet. He came out, I was, I was trained by uh, Billy Egan, and he said that the way to do it is exactly how he did it. You come out, you make yourself big, you spread your body, he didn't handle the ball, he didn't touch the man, the man touched him, Perfect goalkeeper. I still opinion. can't see a picture where he touches him. There's, there's a, there seems to be a gap. Even if it's a few millimeters, three, four millimeters, there's a gap. There's, there's no contact as far as I can see on any of the images. So but, let me play devil's but it advocate. Matter, does it? Let me, no, let me play devil's advocate on this, right? So uh, when Manchester United play City at, uh, at, at the Etihad, which is coming up soon, uh, David de Gea comes racing outside his penalty area as Aguero goes clear, and he comes out, feet and arms all flailing about to try to win the ball he doesn't actually make contact with Aguero but as a result Aguero's got to take evasive action tumbles to the ground do you want De Gea sent off? Um, listen you can't argue no. for and no you don't want him club. sent off not if you don't make the no, contact because you, no like you're saying you, you can't argue for um, and say that we'd, we'd want him to be sent off and then when it happens again, she you're claiming that. That's why I'm asking yeah, you the question. No, so, no. so Louise has said no, she wouldn't want him sent off. No, I, I no, personally think be yes, I would want him sent off. I, I mean, it'd be nice to have the keeper sent off. Of course, it'd be can nice. I, can I be it's an advantage, honest. but if if that happened, I'd be screaming blue murder to get him sent off. I know you would. But then then <laughs> then I would calm down and go. Got away with that one, didn't we? Ah, no, because right. yeah. I think as a City fan, we've been through that many bad, sincere bad decisions. Not just because we're City fans and oh, you know, poor us. Well, we, well, we's us. We have been through the most ludicrous, and even don't want to bring it back up just yet. But you know, Liverpool. I don't like as a human being and as a fair person. Yes. Just just because I'm against a team or against something doesn't mean to say I want something bad to happen to them. And but we're okay when it when we you know let us get away with it, yeah, but don't let anyone fair, else. Right? That's not right. I mean, I know there are people out there that would probably think, oh, don't be stupid. Oh, it's a match. Oh, well, well, all we want to do is win. That's fine. That's you and your opinion. But I'm here. I'm speaking to you. I'm on the podcast tonight. And no, it's not right for Day to get sent off in the same circumstance, or even Alison or anyone else. It would be in the ground, may I hasten to add. Every one of us sat here now, if that happened, we'd all be wanting De Gea sent off. It's when we calmed down afterwards and <laughs> sat down and we got on Twitter and if we're being honest, we'd say, yeah, we got away with that. I'm not sure Every- Harlan ever calms down, oh, really. No, no, he doesn't. <laughs> Jess tells me all the time. I don't know if she's got your number, Paul. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> but I she ring the prestige phone number. But what um, you said before about Kyle, for him to have put that, that was just the best thing I've ever seen on telly at a city at any match for years. 
for him to put and and the, the thing that was even funnier for me about the whole thing was I didn't realize close up that that goalkeeper color isn't the same as the team color so when Kyle's there with two different shades of pink on <laughs> and I'm there going oh well, at least change your shorts lad you know <laughs> well, it was only you asking for it to change your shorts well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for other reasons obviously you know me so well <laughs> but don't, don't don't you think though that as every team has got a frustrated goalkeeper in it, haven't they? And if you have to look round that team at the frustrated goalkeeper, it's going to be Mendy or Kyle Walker in it. Yeah, Mendy. Yeah, it would be Mendy, wouldn't yeah. it? I tell yeah. you what, I bet Zinchenko <laughs> would have a pop as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the um, on the would we would we argue for it and not against it, Ian? I think you've got to look at something else as well and you got to look at like, you look at the Mane penalty against um, Tottenham or something like that and you look at you know if Sterling went down the way that Mane did like he'd been shot in the back between the shoulder blades then you've got to look at it and go well a majority of City fans would say that's a pen but then would criticise Mane for going down like Paul says when everything calms down you've got to look at it rationally and go do you know what I personally know that I wouldn't want to see one of our players doing that because what you do is then you give other teams' fans uh, the right to then criticise our players. What you do is you're playing to their hands. I would genuinely criticise Sterling if he went down as dramatically as Mane did and I would say, get up, you've done so well to prove everybody wrong over the last three or four years, why are you resorting to that Right now, so you know when uh, Sterling tripped over his own foot in yeah, that Champions I was League. Bring that up. Would, yeah. would at that point were you? I mean, you might not have been aware he tripped over his own foot because you needed possibly to watch the replay. But were you mad at him for that? Well, no, because I think it was an accidental trip. But when I went home, I said that's not a pen. I could actually admit that's not a pen. And, and, if he turned around and and asked for that penalty, then absolutely I'd be I'd be fuming with him. But he yeah. didn't. And he took it. You know, you could see him afterwards. He was a bit like, oh, oh, all right. Yeah, all right. I'll just keep my head down now. I'm going to walk away. Yeah. I mean, you're going to take those kind of decisions, but you're not going to scream for it. To change it. There's nothing yeah, you can do to exactly. Change it. Mo, Mo, Mo Salah and Mane, just to name a few. Um, a few. They, <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when they Tom died. Daly ta- Tom Daly died. Me and my pal John Baker did a parachute jump, didn't we? Yeah. And we were trained. I tried to cut all the cords, but I didn't succeed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Not my vocal ones, anyway. We um, he, we we were trained to fling our arms back as we flew out of the plane. We were trained to do that. He he does that, and then he's looking as he's going out. He's looking over his shoulder to the referee to say, "Look, I'm diving. Look, I'm." <laughs> it's it's that is not natural to do what they do, and they're trained to do it. When sleep. Goes over to Old Trafford uh, to oh, slip of the tongue to Anfield every week, and they practice. You know what that slip of the tongue was because United used to be our main rivals, and now exactly. it's exactly uh, right now. Bravo, <laughs> obviously, um, plays in goal as a result of Edison's injury, despite the fact he was sent off in the Champions League because that's a different competition. Um, so he plays in goal. A lot of people before the match at Anfield are saying to me, "Oh, Bravo's in goal." I look back at the game now. That first shot, we, I know we've talked in the last part podcast about uh, VAR and when it should have been a goal or everything but anyway Fabinho hits the ball from the edge of the penalty area it drives into the corner my mate who's at the game says afterwards I thought he should have got an hand on it and I'm thinking no that was it so well I don't uh, now there's a there's a goal when the ball comes across and it's headed mm-hmm. home which maybe you start to question Bravo but do you think what I'm getting at is was Bravo a significant part of the reason City lost at Anfield I don't think he was 
I think the defence. I think there's a, there's 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 a word in, and it's such an easy word to not only spell but to say trust. Trust is massive, especially in a side that's got injuries. You know, when you when you're filling in gaps and whatnot, um, there's always going to be a lack of trust. But I don't think Bravo trusted the defensive partnership yesterday of Fernandinho and Stones, and that's nothing to do with Fernandinho. I think it's more Stones. I think they also didn't trust Bravo because of the mistakes he's made in the past. However, you're never going to know what a, what, what a player's going to do unless you throw them in there and, and see what they're going to do under pressure. That's the best way to judge somebody when they're under pressure. I think Fabinho has smacked that ball so hard, so accurate. Peach of a strike, as I'd call it. Great finish. Um, the one... The Mane goal's naive a bit. I think I think he's he's not expected him to meet the ball and I think his positioning's a bit poor and whatnot. Should really be doing better. But when you look at him in, in the in in the attacking phase, if you want to call it like yesterday, I think from watching Edison, his distribution has improved. Um I don't know if you, you noticed in from where we were sat, obviously I'm sure you did. Um there was this ball that he kept playing out to, to Angelino, Angelino yeah. and it was an absolute peach of a pass. Every time he played it, the, the ball was like if you could show somebody a replay of a pass over and over again that's how accurate this pass was it was an outlet ball every time Angelino's free and I saw Pep clapping it every time they did it and they tried it a few times to the right as well to Walker and even though it was going out of play Pep was clapping it because they must have practised it because maybe Edison plays then passes forward uh, Bravo likes to play him out wide to the full backs because maybe he feels more comfortable doing that he found Angelino almost every time he did it it was curled it was accurate it was brilliant and it got the attacks going. Maybe not as efficiently as if Edison had played the ball out more direct and down the middle, but I think Bravo yesterday didn't play as bad as a lot were anticipating, and I think we need to get off his back, trust him, because let's be honest, there's only him, Carson and Danny Grimshaw that are left out there right now with uh, Edison's injury, so I think we've got to get behind one of them, and I think you've got to get behind Bravo more than you would the other two, in my opinion. It sounds like, I mean, I believe Edison's gone back to Brazil in the international break to get himself right again, and uh, from what Pep was saying after the game at Liverpool, chances are Edison will be fit again by the time City played Chelsea, but if Bravo was to play in goal against Chelsea, do you subscribe to this theory that, oh, oh no, no chance if Bravo's in goal? Uh, to be honest, I'm nervous. Um, so you do I, yeah, subscribe to that? Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> nervous about it. Um, I think after him being sent off um, the other night at Atalanta, he came, he was on that pitch a different man against Liverpool. I, I noticed a difference in him. And you talk about the trust between him and the back few, but I don't think he trusted himself. I really don't. Um, I do think he did give some amazing passes. He weren't absolutely terrible on the pitch by any means. But I just think that it just being sent off, I think, really affected him. And he needs to get a grip, have a word, get his mojo back and stand tall, stand big. You know, make and I can hear the drums beating yeah, in the background. Here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but... If there's if there's something wrong with those back few as well, then it's gonna go the same for the next few matches. I, I can see it going exactly the same because if we if if the forwards and the strikers have got no confidence in the back four or five and the goalkeeper, then they're gonna be lingering back a bit as well. You know, the whole thing's gonna be played in our half of the pitch, uh, not our half of the pitch, their half of the pitch. Instead of our half, we're not going to be going forward. We're going to be playing defensively and slowly like we were against Liverpool. And any other team, doesn't matter who they are and how far down the table they are, including a, a very 
physical and kind of a bit more old school England playing team like Burnley, they might actually wipe us to the floor if we if we play like that against them. I'm not saying we will. I've not got a crystal ball. Love to have one. Put the lottery numbers on and I'll be a very happy lady. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just there's definitely problems. There might only be niggles. I'm not saying they're huge, but there's problems enough for me that I'm not confident yet till I see Bravo step on the pitch at the next game and just see what kind of a attitude he's got is is and I'm talking about his his physical attitude you know and just see how he's standing how he's looking how he's directing the defenders because we've agreed with this before on other podcast on another podcast about the you know how amazing company was for being in charge at the back for having that leadership and when we both agreed that we do think a captain of a team it, it always seems to work a bit better if they're a defender we just don't have that we don't even have the leadership at the back and you Very know true. now Edison's out there and th- there's a leadership problem there's there's been a leadership problem all season since company's not been there who is it? Who's going to take it? Because somebody has to take it. It's a big it. point. It's a big point. Just going back to Bravo just before we move on here and, um, and let Paul obviously have his, his opinion on it as well. I think you've got to look at... I agree with Paul. I don't think Allison is as good as people make out he is. But one thing I did notice yesterday, I'm sure you did as well, Ian, because we sat behind him um, for the second half, is that he, he uses his hands a lot. He pushes his defence out when he wants to kick long. He's very commanding. He's got a big personality. I think... I agree with Louisa, Bravo doesn't give off that air of confidence where he, he believes that he's got the right to dictate what the defence does. Does he feel empowered enough as a goalkeeper, in control enough to be the man that believes that Stones is going to trust him to be the man that directs the defence? Maybe not, but I have got to give him credit. He saved two shots in the second half that were fantastic. He saved one from Salah. And he also saved one from, I can't remember who, but the power in the strike was unbelievable and he got up there and he saved it. Shot-stopping-wise, I think Bravo's fantastic. I think distribution-wise, it was questionable two years ago. I think he looks a lot better now. I just think a big thing with him is that confidence to command and that confidence to be, um, you know, confident in stature on the pitch, which I completely agree with Louise on. Well, as you know, I am uh, <clears throat> I'm the podcast goalkeeping specialist. Um <laughs> <laughs> the the a goalkeeper is a special breed of of human being. He's a maverick. He's he's out there. Of course, he gets he gets upset if things don't go right for him. But the the, the special breed, the, the little things don't bother him. You know, if they make a mistake, they get on with it. You know, it's a lonely world being a goalkeeper. Um, I've got no problems with Bravo whatsoever. I've got no issues whatsoever with him being in net. His distribution. I think he's probably not as good, but I don't think he's as far off as we all make out from um, from um, Edison. Edison. I've still said Alison. So Alzheimer's kicking in, I think. Um, so yeah, I've got no issues whatsoever with having Bravo in there, and I think the, the fans just need to get behind him because you do feel it. If if the fans aren't behind you, you do feel it. Just get behind him for God's sake. He's not he's not rubbish overnight. He's like Pep said. He's um you know he's he's won loads of tournaments. Um, he's an international goalkeeper. He's experienced. You don't become rubbish overnight. Just because he's not Edison doesn't make him rubbish. Okay, well let's move on to a different subject now. I did promise that we'd speak about uh, the ingress and egress 
uh, posh words you won't even know what they mean Paul um, yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in and out of the uh, the San Siro now on, on the face of it going to the San Siro was like wow yeah. City are playing at the San Siro and when you approach the stadium from the outside particularly at night it looks fantastic I did uh, speak to somebody um, the following day who said oh we went to, in the day and it didn't look as good. It looked a bit barren and everything and desolate. A bit grey. Um, but, but in the night time, it certainly looked fantastic. And I'm so glad that I got a chance to go again. I've been lucky enough to go once before. And actually, the last European game I ever missed was actually at the San Siro when in 78 City drew 2-2 with uh, Brian Kidd and Paul Power. I couldn't afford it. I was a university student, much like Harlan. Um, <laughs> I know you slightly moved on from that now, or moving on from it. Yeah, so, uh, so that, that's, that's, so going to the San Siro is dead exciting. Now, you went into that away end. Now, this, before you tell me about your experience, Paul, and obviously you two weren't there, so you can only really react to what I'm going to read out, but these are genuine messages, unsolicited messages, that I had from people that, first of all, the, the guy called John Lee, who runs the, I think it's the Zurich branch, or certainly anyway, a Swiss supporters club branch, and this was what he said. Now, I hope my eyes will, will bear out with me, because I've brought my glasses with me, but anyway... Um, amazed that no one was injured last night from crushing outside the stadium and not sure of it uh, because it not not here we go I told you my eyes had let me down <laughs> not sure it's because I have lived in Switzerland for 11 years but I don't get treated like that um, like I was last night in any other part of my life and quite frankly I'm not prepared to accept being treated like that our group is seriously thinking of doing our next Champions League away game trip to exclude the game itself not go to the stadium uh, this is by far the worst part of the day we are sick of being treated like animals uh, there were loads of City fans who were sober who had problems with delayed travel and were not allowed to collect tickets and could not get them from the stadium. This is because they closed the ticket collection booth at kickoff. The club, City, was shambolic last night outside the stadium. For last night, we received an email telling us to collect tickets from outside gate 10 at the stadium. We arrived there 75 minutes before kickoff. No one from the club advised us where to pick up the tickets. We only found out from another City fan where to go. We had to walk away from the stadium uh, past about 30 parked vehicles and coaches, then turn around a fence into another area, then the crushing came after that. A guy sat next to me was separated from his wife in the crush. She ended up ahead of the next pen getting crushed. He asked the only City female official to be allowed to go ahead to join her. She just ignored him. As I mentioned previously, my group are seriously considering join, uh, going to future away games, but not going to the stadium. Now, uh, that's only part of what he's written to me, and, and those are quite <coughs> serious accusations. City are not here to defend themselves. I don't know whether the specifics of what he's saying are true. What I can say is that lots of other people have contacted me, and I'll read another one out in a minute or two, uh, from another lady who was at the game who came to me afterwards and said, please, will you bring this up on a podcast? You must do this. Uh, and I said, well, tell me what your experience was. Send me it, and I will read it out with your permission. She has done, and I'll read that in a minute. But <clears throat> it, those are quite serious sort of accusations against the, the way the Italian police treated 
the fans, the way the operation was organised, and even a few criticisms there of the way City did it. What was your experience, Paul? Um, Can I, I just ask before you go ahead, Paul? Where yeah. was the crush? Sorry, is this like well, some I'll, ticket I'll, I'll collection? Probably, let me. Point? I'll probably explain it. I'll, I'll be able to explain it now and yeah. tell you what I'm going to say. Um, we we went on the train, so we we got we got the, uh, the train to the ground. Um, as we got off the train, you basically not heard is the wrong word, but you kind of migrate to the stadium, and then we were pointed towards um, like a fan zone area. So we went to this initial fan zone area. Bearing in mind that uh, Atalanta don't this isn't their home ground; they don't play there, so they're away fans as well, if you like. But we were in the away end; they were in the home end. So we got out there, um, walking through. Again, there was no trouble during the day. We went all over the place. There was no trouble. Um, we got into the, the, the fan zone area. Again, there was no trouble. There was fans. We were all mixing and mingling, having pictures took, having a beer together. No problems whatsoever. Um, we then sort of like had to look for the gate. Uh, I think it was gate 10 was the entrance to go in. So as we started walking towards this, we had to go through another fan zone area. And they were like, um, we could see City fans queuing up in the background to this. Um, so we kind of walked past that and thought, well, what are they queuing up for? Because gate 10's right, in, right to my left, and they're queuing up on the right-hand side. So what's going on here? Why, why, why are they being held out there? And then I thought, it must be their car park. Anyway, so we said to, said to one of their, their guys, how do we get into gate 10? So they said, you were basically, you go out of here, and we, we, we came out of here, we walked through the home end car park. So you can imagine their home end car park is the away end, if you like, because it's full of full of the, 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 the coaches. There must have been probably 40, 50 coaches of the home supporters. So bear in mind, we're walking through there, and I'm no shrinking violet, but you kind of get the feeling that like any minute now, this could go pear-shaped. So we're walking through there. We have probably walked about 200 metres, got to the end. We're then sort of like glared at by a load of riot police, shepherded into another car park where we had to... That was the home, the, the, the away end car park with two or three coaches in it. We walked right to the bottom of that and that brought us out where I could see the, the City fans queuing up. So basically we queued up there and we're like, what you know? What, what's the what's the hold up? The hold up was, I can imagine it was like a, a, a lock. So all the everybody's passing in front of you, and then they stop them, put barriers across, opened our barriers, and let probably ten or fifteen of us go in at once. So we were stood there. Bear in mind, we've already walked past this point about 45, 50 minutes earlier. You know, all we wanted to do was go left and go in, but they won't let you. They made you walk all the way around. So we got we got to the point where I was right at the front of the barrier, and there was a guy there who, who I can only describe dressed in sort of like, um, he looked like he was an SAS man. That's the best way I can describe it. All in black. He stood there smoking, blowing smoke, blowing smoke in our faces. And I said, said to him, what's the hold-up? So he said, um, he just looked at me. So I said, and shrugged his shoulders. So I said, do you speak English? He went, yeah. I said, so what's the hold up? I won't use the language he used, but it was, you know, F off. So I went, oh, charming. So I said to his mate next to him, I said, so what's, what's the hold up? 
oh um, um you, you can't take your um you, you can't take your battery charges in for your phones and stuff like that so nobody's told us that so everyone were basically dumping you know hiding them and throwing them and stuff like that anyway so this guy came over and said this is disgusting and at that point a i'm assuming she was a city rep because she had um, you know she had like a top on but had your wafer on it and all that so I'm assuming she was a city rep because this guy was having a right go at her, and she did the typical sort of like when 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 you haven't got a clue how to answer answer a question, you go, um, I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you now. You're getting aggressive, and I feel I feel threatened. She just threw that one out. So I turned around to her, I said, right, I said, so what's going on here then? Oh God, you know, don't you start as well? Oh, oh, oh I'm getting bullied here. I'm getting, bu-. and I, I just thought, oh, you need to grow a pair. You're in the wrong job, love. So I said to this bloke, I said, you know, what's what's the hold up? And he just looked at his mate, said something in Italian, and again repeated, F off. So at this point then, it's getting a bit heated behind me, and fortunately the gate opened. We went, 20 of us went through. Bear in mind these probably 4,500 fans got to come through here. 20 of us went in. We got through to the other side where we were then searched. We didn't have our tickets checked. They didn't check whether it was your name or your passport and all the rest, like we are told we was going to do. We got to the other side, and there was a guy in there. I don't know his name. Um, somebody said he's called Steve and I see him at a lot of the uh, European games Um, I think he's like security advisor and stuff like that for City great bloke, not knocking him at all he was fantastic and he said we went round during the day and we saw some of these issues about to be created so we told them about it and they've not done a thing about it so that that was basically getting into the ground and that was before all the trouble after when all the fans turned up because we got in early so that that is quite um, an emotive uh, version that you're telling there. Obviously, it sounds like the city, at least in that part of it, were absolutely on the ball and knew potentially some of the things that could happen, and had, had warned against it, had tried to, and, and and were frustrated by yep. the fact that they couldn't um, sort this sort of thing out. And, yep. and that doesn't surprise me what you're saying because they're very thorough city in the, yeah, in the yeah. preparation, etc. Now, this is the other one that I have, uh, which comes from Sarah Chadwick. So Sarah said. Uh, good to have a brief chat after we landed at Stansted about because we came back via Stansted and <laughs> got caught by the way in the Meadow Hall flood. But Meadow we won't Hall go gate. into that anyway. Um, <laughs> about the city fans' experience last night, just watched the video you posted uh, of fans rightly complaining. I thought I'd give you my thoughts. We thankfully got to the San Siro 90 minutes before kickoff, so while our experience going in was unnecessarily slow. We didn't experience what I heard other fans did. Another member of the supports club, I'm in the Blackpool and File branch, arrived 60 minutes before kickoff and had a very different experience. I've been told of fans being held in a pen, which is what you're talking about, yeah. Paul, isn't it? After the first security check, before being allowed to cross the exterior concourse onto the entrance gate, which was a mixed area with home fans. Apparently, women were in tears at the crush, as in the crush, in the area, and it was bordering on dangerous. Children were scared. The police had dogs jumping on them. There was no logical reason for the attempt to keep fans apart, as they'd been freely mixing before drinking in the fan zone. And I saw that. They mm. seemed to be getting on very well together, actually. Uh, happily mixing on the public transport. We'd also been told to carry our passports and use our ID checks, but I've not heard of one fan who was asked to produce it. So again, that corroborates yeah. what you've said. Uh, then you get to the, into the ground. Now, don't get me wrong, the San Siro is an iconic ground and is impressive to look at both inside and outside. However, the away end was a disgrace. Firstly, why stickers all the way up in the top 
of the behind the goal when the, the ground was half empty. The view was obstructed by plexiglass, and in particular, the frames holding each sheet of plexiglass <laughs> together, which meant we only had a clear view of half the pitch. The facilities were frankly third world. The ladies' toilets consisted of four cubicles, two of which were holes in the ground. The doors didn't lock, no toilet paper, no soap, no hand-drying facilities. I believe the men's were just as bad. Uh, you'd get better if you are in prison. And speaking of prison, we were then held back after the game for at least 45 minutes. City had communicated beforehand there would be a 20-minute hold back. Then we could finally make our way down the spiral walkway. At the bottom, we were met by a line of police and stewards who held us again for another few minutes before we were then allowed to disperse. Even then, we had to walk uh, past lines of police officers armed with batons and shields just in case they fancied having a go at us. Uh, to finish on a positive, from what I saw, the City fans' behaviour was exemplary. Um, it could easily have been quite different and quite quickly turned nasty mm -hmm. under such treatment and provocation. I was proud to be a blue that night. Thanks, Sarah Chadwick. And thank you, Sarah, yes, for sharing that. that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, <clears throat> now, I met you afterwards and John, because obviously we travelled back together. So I waited until afterwards. I, I certainly know how long we were held back. And by the time we kept up for this, forget this was a nine o'clock kickoff out in, uh, in Italy. So by the time we actually got together again, there was a danger that the public transport was going to close down. Well, it nearly did. And, and you know, we, we were lucky. <laughs> we got to, the last train. We I got think. the last train, yeah. So, I mean, this is just utterly unbelievable. Now, Paul's given his, his story. How, how do you react to that? Well, first of all, um, I don't travel to European matches, away matches, so I'm guessing, that, I'm guessing this off, is quite it? an unusual event then, considering it's, it's you know, raised all of this. Um, yeah, I have been um, crushed very severely when I was younger, when I was a teenager at a rock festival, and I have actually never got over that. When I see crowds at matches or wherever I am, you remember our, um, when you used to go to the uh, tube at Wembley, the old way they used to filter you all in and I'd have to leave the people I was with it was kind of like a fight or flight because my anxiety would always get too much so I'm already I, my anxiety is now like on the roof listening to that story because what Sarah just finished with there was kind of perfect any not any other team but that could have just turned. It only takes one person to panic or one person to throw a punch or one person to be pushed by a police. Then we know what the European police can be like. That could have been very, very serious. And I do think that needs looking at by City. Um, I think it needs looking at by um, the, you know, by the Europe, by the Champions League to make sure that that doesn't happen again. I know from your film and from what I've read online, all the fans were getting on great. Now, obviously, the police maybe didn't know that. They might not have known that you were all getting on great. They might not even know City fans. We've not played there before, right? So, well, not since yeah, 78. Yeah, not since 78. <laughs> so they don't know City fans either. They've got to be prepared for any fan to go there, especially aggressive fans. Don't forget there are still teams and clubs out there where there are, and especially in Italy, very aggressive fans. Sorry to any Italians, no, no harm intended. So um, that is a horrific story that could have been even more, if there's a worse word than horrific, 
because I can't stand the idea of that and I will never go to European match on that they're basis. Not, to be fair, they're not all <laughs> quite as bad as that, but the, the, ten, the, the, the message I get from a lot of fans is that Italy and Spain are the two worst. And actually, a group of Italian fans contacted me, uh, or I certainly saw what they were saying afterwards, which is that uh, they claim the Italian authorities don't like away fans, full stop. Yeah. And it doesn't. It, this wasn't specific to City, which makes it even worse, really, when you think about it, that this is how they treat all visiting fans yeah. to all games in Italy. They say they don't want, you, they don't, they say they don't want visiting fans there. They just treat every visiting fan with contempt. And any excuse they get, they give them a crack. What's wrong with Atalanta's ground? Is it quite small? Yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah, I don't know. It's up to UA for standards and, and it's a little bit smaller. But, well, it sounds uh, like the San Siro isn't up to UA well, for standards that, that, either. That's so, why I, I mean, laughed, it's, ironically. It's, it's, to be honest, Italy's actually quite a reasonably small country. So I know that they're probably closest to, to Rome than maybe anywhere else. But surely there's a better ground well, than, actually, than the San Siro. We landed at, at Bergamo, which is where their home city is, about an hour away by road. And it probably is the nearest big city. Mm. Um, so but, I can understand I mean, why the, it was played there. can't there, be other cities much further on than that, though. You know, not, around no. those areas, up north, northern, sort of mid-northern Italy, can they? So, yeah, there's got to be a, a good enough reason to maybe not play there again. I know that um, we've we've talked about that subject now, and we can't we can't do anything about it. I just hope. That, that people from City, I'm not saying that they've done anything particularly wrong, but that people of City have, have he heard these um, these complaints, these these experiences, take them on board and try as hard as they can at least to do something about it. So I'm going to draw the line on that. I'm just going to finish off with going back to the Liverpool again, and this is fan orientated again. At half time, um, I, I go up to to get some reaction for my vlog, and a fan comes over to me and says. Um, I don't want to say this publicly. I don't want to go on the vlog. I don't want to do anything. Um, but it's disgraceful. These were his words. How many, um, as he put it, tourists are in the away end? Um, I mean, in the vlog, uh, I, I actually interviewed two guys from Chicago, lovely fellas. And I personally have no issue with, with uh, fans from other parts of the world being part of the fan base. But he was very upset about that and other incidents. I can certainly talk about two fans that were right right in front of me in the away end, who spent the first 25 minutes, and I'm not exaggerating here, never actually looking at the game. They were on, they were doing, uh, they were talking to the mates on, on FaceTime, they were filming the Liverpool crowd, they were doing everything except watching the game. It, one of them, their arm was waving in front of me, and, and I actually, in the event, and I'm a very, very quiet, placid guy, as anybody that goes to a game with me knows, it's probably too much and people think I don't care because I'm just I'm like a, I'm like an empty vessel when I stand there because I'm I'm studying it all I don't get too yeah. emotional but I pulled this guy's arm down and said for God's sake I'm trying to watch the game why don't you watch it so it did annoy me as well what was you Harlan you were in the away what yeah. was you is, is, was this typical did you see any of yeah, this I think everybody's I think everybody saw somebody um, whether you're in a group of people and there's somebody within that 20 seat block there was at least one person per 10 seat block doing this kind of stuff I think there was that many people there that didn't appreciate not only the event but didn't appreciate the magnitude of the game didn't appreciate the fact that you're watching two sides here you know you're watching 22 players on a football pitch at the top of the game top of the Premier League I mean why are you not watching this game why are you not studying the game why are you not taking it in not everybody's as obsessive as us when they study the game Ian but you're there for a football match it's not a day out it's not a day out it's not 
It's not something, you know, take a few pictures. Everybody takes a few pictures, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and social media and enjoy your experience. Put a few stories out at our time if you want to. But listen, you're there for a football match. There was a guy next to me that was videoing their crowd when they were celebrating. And the amount of times that I went to say something and Jess had to stop me and say, just watch the game. Because I was then being distracted myself because it was irritating me. And you can't avoid getting annoyed about it because it is just something that if you're that obsessive about watching the game, it does annoy you. This guy's videoing the crowd celebrating. I wanted to say to him, mate, go and sit with them then. If you want to feel what that's like and you want to see that, don't video it. Stand with them and watch it with your own eyes and support Liverpool. Because I think the frustrating thing is that we're all there to watch the game. They should also be there. Now, I've not got a problem with tourist fans. I've not got a problem with fans that, that want to watch the game. They want to watch it. I think it's to do with the fact that if you're there in your video and then, like Ian said, you're not watching it and you're doing everything but watching it, I've got an issue with people like that having tickets. You know, I've tried to get away tickets for years now. Granted, I don't always have the finances to do it. Yesterday, I did have the finances. I was offered a ticket by a very kind person who you've mentioned tonight, John. I was also offered two tickets by somebody that you know as well, Ian, and we were massively appreciative of that. And I would do everything to get an away ticket. And I would go there, I would get behind the boys and I would watch every single inch of the game possible. But I understand the frustrations of people when there's people in the ground completely abusing their right to have a ticket and taking the Michael, really. Obviously, the big uh, point that a lot of them are making is how they got them, the number of points that's required, the distribution. Now, what I would do at this point is point, point you towards a previous episode of the podcast. Uh, if you... If you, if you go on SoundCloud or wherever it is that you download this uh, podcast from, you will find, uh, and, and if I think about it, I'll do a tweet of uh, this link as well, when Kevin Parker from the official supporters club was on uh, and he eloquently went through the, the way that tickets are distributed within the supporters club and also as he understands it, the percentage of the ones that go to points, the ones that go to 18 to 25 year olds. We have Matty, of course, a regular contributor to this podcast who is on the City Matters Committee and represents the 18 to 25 and I know that they've debated it within City Matters so all that is within that other podcast so I'm not going to go through the whole thing again but if you find the one that Kevin Parker was on which I'm trying to think when it was it was probably about two or three months ago so maybe about September something like that uh, then you will f- probably in one of the international breaks to be fair so one of the two international breaks probably the first one you will find Kevin going through that and a big big debate on this points distribution thing so I'm not going to go into it now. I know you want to say something, Paul. So yeah, I've got um, well, we've got a mutual friend. He's, he he spends a hell of a lot of money at City. Um, he's got um, he's in the the, the don't na- don't reveal who he is or yeah, anything. Yeah, no, I won't. But he spends a hell of a lot of money at City. Um, he's got over twenty seven thousand points. Um, and I think he has nine season tickets or something like that. You know, so he, he's spending a lot of money. He could get two. He wanted to take the rest of the people who he gets in the, the tunnel clubs and all the rest of it. He spends a lot of money there, a hell of a lot of money, and he could only get two tickets. Yet in front of him and around him, he, he reckons... And he sent me the pictures. I've got the pictures of probably, I'd say, 15 to 20 tourists just stood around him, taking pictures, doing selfies of each other. This wasn't just before the game. This wasn't at half-time and at the end. This was during the game. So how have these people got tickets and this man who spends a fortune? And myself, I only got two through my supporters club. So, you know, I couldn't go to the game. Not that I would have done anyway. Um, But... It's not right. Something needs to be done. And how are these people getting these tickets? Well, this is a subject I'm sure we'll come back to. Um, 
Obviously, this is part two of a two-part podcast, and that's where we're going to draw a line under it now for this week. Um, next week, or there'll be another one on Tuesday. Normally, record on Sunday or on Monday nights. Uh, so, because this is one that's just before the weekend, the next one's going to be on Tuesday night. We've got Sean Riley coming, who's one of the co-authors of a book called "Don't Look It Back in Anger," along with Don Price, a well-known City fan, uh, as is Sean really. Uh, and they will be certainly Sean will be telling us his tales of of uh, from that book and, and tales of the past and whoever is sat with me with Sean will talk about more of the nostalgia if you like of the old the old city because we're in an international break and I think these last two podcasts have been very quite powerful really and, and very emotional anyway so you've probably had enough of that for now <laughs> the next game is Chelsea um, so um, we'll probably talk about it briefly in the Tuesday recording um, but anyway thanks very much for listening thanks to charleslewy.co.uk who are Chartered Mortgage Advisors who are the sponsors of this podcast uh, just look at them, the website charleslewy.co.uk if you want to learn more and they're a big supporter of this podcast and me and if you want to support them in return I'd really appreciate that thanks very much to Tameside Radio for being our host and of course to Harlan Paul Thank and you. to Louisa and to you for listening. We'll see you next time.